Before we dive into today's episode, I want to introduce you to The Cobble Group, which is our sponsor here at the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast. You know, one of the most frustrating parts of being a commercial real estate investor can be finding and leasing your next deal. And that's exactly why you need a brokerage partner like The Cobble Group. The Cobble Group is a commercial real estate brokerage based in Tennessee, helping buyers, sellers, and landlords navigate the world of buying, selling, and leasing commercial properties. Whether you're interested in office, retail, industrial, or some specialty type of commercial, the Cobble Group has you covered. While the firm largely focuses within the state of Tennessee, they've worked on projects from new construction development in Kentucky, all the way to single-tenant net lease investments in Texas, and can likely help you with your next investment project. Check out their website at thecobblegroup.com. That's T-H-E-C-A-U-B-L-E group.com. Or reach out directly to the office by email at office at thecobblegroup.com. Now, let's get into today's show. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast, your weekly source for investing strategies, leasing and management tips, market updates, and more. I am your host, Tyler Cobble, and today we're going to be going over my five favorite commercial real estate investment strategies. There are many different ways to invest in commercial real estate. In fact, there are almost an unlimited amount of different ways that you can invest depending on your asset type, property class, location, investment strategy, and so much more depending on how creative you can get. But Finding the right investment strategy for you is very important. Depending on your goals, you may choose to stick with one of the strategies we'll talk about today, or you could diversify by using several of these. Here are the five best commercial real estate investment strategies according to yours truly. The commercial burr, which is value add, development and construction, land banking, long-term buy and hold, and owner-occupied real estate. And each of these strategies is definitely worthy of having its own episode because we can really dive in and talk about the ins and outs of them for hours. So I'm just going to give you a quick rundown of what each strategy is and how you can do it. So let's kick it off with my personal favorite, the commercial burr. The Burr method has been made super popular over the years by the team over at Bigger Pockets. This strategy is the one that I tend to lean toward whenever I'm evaluating one of my own investments. Burr is also the value add play and it stands for buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat. So B-R-R-R-R. The Burr strategy is very scalable and it can be used on a single tenant retail building or a downtown high rise with hundreds of units and every type of property in between. So here's how this strategy works. First, you buy an undervalued property. This is key here. You've got to find a property that is available for well below market rates. And there are many different reasons that a property could be available for less than market pricing. Maybe you found an off-market deal and the seller just wants to move on, or the property could be in a distressed seller situation where they need the money fast. But more likely than not, the property just needs a significant amount of value add to renovations, whether that be through rehab or repositioning with tenants. So with all of that in mind, you'll definitely want this investment at well below replacement costs. That will give you a little bit of cushion and certainly a nice spread for your profit margins. After you've purchased the property, you will begin your renovations. Now, keep in mind one big difference between residential and commercial is that you're not renovating to the comps. You're simply renovating to increase the perceived value to tenants so that they will pay you higher rents. The most common renovations for commercial buildings include interior and exterior paint, 
updated flooring, new signage and directories, and new lighting. I, I prefer to do LED lighting. I do just about every single one of these every time I acquire a new investment. And again, while you may want to renovate above and beyond that, those few updates will make any building look brand new and are often enough outside of anything structural or within your MEP, your mechanical, electrical, and plumbing, uh, to justify those rent increases. Next, it's time to rent the space to tenants. So now that you've got the updated look and feel of the building and brought new life to it, it's time to fill it up with tenants. If you already have a background in commercial leasing, you're already set here. You know exactly how to go about the process of finding tenants, negotiating commercial leases, and closing the deal. However, if you haven't leased commercial property before, I do highly recommend that you lean on a leasing brokerage or property management company here. They can even get started recruiting tenants while you're focused on renovating the building, which will hopefully give you a solid head start on the leasing process. The quicker that you can lease out the space, the faster that you can move on to the next step, which is refinancing the investment. So this is the fun part. Well, honestly, to me, all of it is fun, but this is where you get all of your money back. Hopefully all of your money. That's right. After you've renovated the building and leased it up, it's time to pull all of your cash back out of the investment by refinancing the debt. If you executed each of the earlier steps correctly, you should be able to refinance your investment based on a cap rate, which will allow you to pull all of your initial capital out of the deal while still owning the building and receiving that cash flow. Some banks will want to keep the loan and are willing to refinance at the new value once it's stabilized, but you may need to find another lender. It's best to know that on the front end so that your lender on the acquisition doesn't charge you any prepayment penalties for replacing the debt. Finally, just repeat the process. You've got your capital back, you've built up your balance sheet, and you still have cash flow coming in from a now stabilized asset. It's time to repeat that process again and work on building that portfolio of commercial real estate. Our second strategy is development. Development is one of the most creative and riskiest investment strategies in real estate. When developing property, you may be creating a project completely from scratch from a raw piece of land or re-envisioning what already exists on the property. There's quite a bit of that happening in the Southeast now and probably all over the country because we have all of these older shopping centers that no longer fill a need for their neighborhoods. However, like I said, development is very risky. While it probably has the highest potential to create insane amounts of wealth in real estate, it also has the highest potential for you to lose everything that you've ever worked for. So it's critical that you understand what you're doing and you definitely need to have the right team. So the first step in development is buying the dirt. There are many points of consideration when finding the ideal piece of land for your project. And here are just a few. So location, obviously, it's got to be a great location. Zoning, does the current zoning allow for the kind of project you'd like to develop? Or are you going to have to go through the rezoning process? Topography, how hilly is the site? It can get very expensive to start moving dirt around. Utilities. Are there even utilities to the site or will you need to run them from a neighboring property? If so, again, that can get very expensive. Traffic. Will you be contributing more cars on the road than the infrastructure in the area can currently handle? If so, not only will the city be against your development, the neighborhood will be as well. Demographics. Are you delivering what the neighborhood even wants? Is, is your development appropriate for the kind of people that live in that area? Will they support what you intend to build? And honestly, that's a major oversimplification of what you really need to dig into and investigate. But each of these pieces will determine not only if your project will be successful, but whether or not you can actually even develop the site in the first place. It may be impossible for you to achieve the zoning you'd like, or your plans just may be cost prohibitive. So you've found the ideal parcel, it fits your criteria, it's time to put your vision to work. 
Now, this is where having the right team really becomes crucial because at this stage, you should be working closely with a civil engineer, an architecture firm, and your leasing or sales team so that you can fully plan out the project. These advisors will help you determine the development feasibility, the horizontal and vertical design, which is the proper site layout, what buildings should go where, how the utilities will run across the site. Uh, they'll also help you put together your marketing strategy. If you are not building with the end in mind, you will miss the mark. The most successful developers have a highly curated team of experts surrounding them, which allows them to better coordinate the many different aspects of real estate development because development is a, it's a huge undertaking and there are a lot of different pieces to that puzzle. So the more people you can have on your side helping you throughout the process, the better you'll be. So now the site's under contract and you're working on your plans, you also need to begin securing a construction and development loan. Commercial lenders want to see an outstanding track record when it comes to real estate development, especially considering just how risky the venture is, which makes sense. I mean, think about it. Banks are not in the development or landholding business, and they don't want to have to step in halfway through a job to see it through completion if you go bankrupt. It's just not what they do. It's not what they're built for. So like I said, your team and strategy will be of the utmost importance here. In addition to your engineers, architects, and leasing or sales team, lenders will review your operational team, your financial partners, and your project history. So you definitely need to have an outstanding presentation put together for the lenders to review. This could be the offering memorandum that you raised capital for the project off of, or essentially just a business plan that you've put together. And it will give your lender some peace of mind and help them better understand your project and the intended outcome. It's also not a bad exercise for you too as a developer, since it will help you put all of your thoughts on paper and, and really make everything concrete. Now that you've got the project underway, you'll be overseeing the construction. Again, this is another point where you should be relying on your team because they will help you oversee the construction of the site. You may not yet have the construction experience necessary to fully understand everything going on, but you do need to have a fairly high level view. If this is your first project, you need to be on site daily as work is underway so that you can ask any and all questions possible so that you can further understand the site work and construction portions of this. The better that you understand the entire process as a developer, the better you will be at development. Your architect is also there to make sure that the project is built to their design, so they should be in frequent contact with you and on site as well. Doing so will ensure that the project is built to your standards and should help keep the project closer to its original development timeline, although I don't know if I've ever seen a project delivered on time. It's kind of a running joke in the commercial real estate industry. Choosing the right general contractor should also be very high on your priority list. If your project runs into unexpected or maybe even expected delays, cost overruns, or shoddy work, your pockets will take a major hit, and that can often fall directly on your contractor. So it's very important to have a, a phenomenal GC, and, and your GC will manage the horizontal site development, so moving dirt, placing all the utilities. They'll manage the vertical site development, which is what we call the bricks and sticks of the building, and they will also oversee all of the interior finishes and any warranties necessary. While you're under construction, your team should also hit the ground running with a marketing plan. Whether you're leasing or selling these units, any and all pre-sales and pre-leases that you could possibly get will significantly reduce your risk and obviously create momentum. Activity breeds more activity when it comes to creating a successful project. And if prospects don't see much movement on the property, it could make them wonder why no one else is interested. So it's very important to interview and hire the best leasing or sales team in your market that has a solid track record and understanding of your product type.
So that's it for development. Our third investment strategy is land banking. Land banking is the best strategy for patient and hands-off investors. Essentially, you buy a piece of property in what you feel is the path of development and wait. No late night maintenance calls, no building repairs, very little work, which is what these investors really do find attractive about this strategy. Your investment in the land is basically a bank account secured by the dirt. That's why it's called land banking. As the development moves towards you, your property should increase in value. And at that point, you can either sell it at the new higher value or, and this is a very creative way of doing real estate, you could partner with a developer to re-envision the property. I have done this in the past where the landowner contributed the dirt as their equity share of that development deal, but they have no other financial obligations or risk outside of that. There are several ways of structuring this kind of partnership, and the landowner may or may not need to put up the land as collateral to the bank. It depends on how you negotiate it. So it definitely could be risky if you take that path. So the first step of land banking is to find and qualify the dirt. When you're placing capital into a piece of property for this strategy, you need to be very careful and thoughtful about the parcel that you choose. Be sure to understand how the zone zoning and planning works within that municipality as that will determine whether your investment will be successful or not. Review those documents to see how the city views the future of different districts because if the city has future plans for that area where they intend to turn, let's say, farmland into a high-density commercial district, or maybe they're going to run a major thoroughfare from the interstate, it could be an opportunity to land bank. But on the opposite side of that coin, if the city sees development moving in the opposite direction, you could find yourself with the wrong piece of land. One of the most common points of consideration for land bankers is should you finance the deal? Some investors will choose to place debt and leverage some investors will choose to place debt and leverage on their land investments, but others simply choose to pay all cash. The path you take is completely up to you, but in my opinion, there's certainly something to be said for owning a piece of dirt outright when it isn't producing any income. If you look back at 2008, many land bankers found themselves in trouble when they had to continue paying mortgage expenses, taxes, property insurance, land maintenance, all of the costs of owning dirt but they didn't have any money coming through the doors. However, if you can leverage and place the remaining capital into a different investment that will pay your carry costs on the land, that, that could be a solid option too. That's just something for you to seriously consider. Until you sell the dirt, you will also be responsible for maintaining the property. When land banking, you definitely want to maintain the image of the land because you never know when your land will become valuable to someone else and images everything. So be sure to keep the grass mowed, pick the trash up, remove any squatters from the property. That's right. Depending on your state, there may be squatters rights. And if someone occupies the property long enough, they could have a claim to it. I've never had to deal with that myself, but we have had to chase squatters off of one of my grandfather's properties multiple times so that we could avoid this. So once you start to get interest in the property, you'll definitely want to strike at that opportunity. While waiting for the value to increase, you could also put together proposed plans for the development of the site. And I've been very successful with this. These plans could help any brokers, developers, or just visionaries see what could be placed on the site, which could make it more attractive and could really help sell it as opposed to just leaving the dirt bare without any potential ideas. Some people may not have the vision, but they may want to buy your property and develop those plans. So help them out if you can. Now, one note I do want to say, don't go out and rezone the property specifically for the use that you put in the plans because that could further restrict any buyers. 
Now, that's all we have for land banking. The fourth strategy is the long-term buy and hold. So the long-term buy and hold has the most creative name on the list, just like this podcast, The Commercial Real Estate Investor. Essentially, you buy an investment and hold it for the long-term. You could be holding for the cash flow or for the appreciation of the property, or maybe if you get the right property, you'll get both. You can utilize this investment method on any size and type of property from single-tenant net deals to skyscrapers. There are also different reasons to invest in different types of buildings, depending on how involved or uninvolved you want to be in the daily operations of the property. So first, you determine what type of property you would like to invest in, obviously. The beauty of this strategy is that it can be used on any kind of property. So whether you're looking to buy Class A office space downtown at a four and a half cap, which you probably aren't unless you're a life insurance company, or a distressed suburban shopping center with 52% vacancy, it could work. Here are a few things that you'll want to take into consideration, which will help you actually determine which properties you want to target. First is your involvement. If you want to be more active and involved in the day-to-day, then you may be able to achieve higher returns on your investment. Well, hopefully you do since you're taking on more work, but this will limit you to only investing in your immediate area. So if you'd like to take a more hands-off approach, you could invest in a single-tenant absolute net property, and you could do that pretty much anywhere in the country. You also need to consider your risk tolerance. Are you looking to aggressively grow your portfolio and your wealth? If so, you may be willing to take on more risk. You know, if on the other hand, you're simply looking to maintain your wealth or you have a more conservative investment approach, you probably want to place that capital in a more stabilized asset with more steady, consistent returns. Next is your overall goals. Do you intend to hold the property forever or will you be selling it at the first solid opportunity that flies by? You may take a different maintenance and leasing strategy for the investment if you're going to hold this for the long term, as opposed to if you plan to sell in the next 10 years. Next, you underwrite the investment. You're typically buying long-term hold investments for the cash flow that they produce. Now, hopefully the property will appreciate in value too, but that's not your primary goal here. So it's critical that you underwrite the investment properly and thoroughly to examine any risks involved with the assets. So review the leases that are already in place and consider the length of term. How long will they be there and how soon do you need to start finding the next tenant if they don't want to stay? The tenant's credit. Are they local, regional, or national? How many locations do they have? rent increases. Does the rent have annual increases or does it stay flat for the entire term? And any future vacancy, you'll definitely want to prepare for that ahead of time so that you can minimize your vacant months. And if you're unsure about how to underwrite a commercial real estate investment, there are software programs out there that you could use, including one that my team and I are planning to bring to market soon. You could work with a commercial real estate brokerage or or you could hire an underwriter to assist you through the process. Underwriters typically charge around $1,000 on the low end, and it increases from there. I've seen anywhere from three dollars to $5,000 on average, but that underwriting is very important and crucial to your decision-making, so it can be worth it. Once you've acquired the property, it's time to manage the ongoing operations. So as the investor, unless you're taking a very active role in the property, you likely won't be involved in the day-to-day, especially if you intend to purchase more commercial property because your time is more valuable finding the next deal rather than dealing with HVAC issues for your tenants. From day one, I highly recommend that you hire a property management company and a commercial leasing team if necessary to oversee the ongoing operations on site. They'll be your eyes and your ears and can really offload a significant burden from your shoulders. 
Hiring an outstanding property management company can make all of the difference with regards to better tenant relations, lower vacancy rates. They handle all of your financial reporting and work with your CPA on taxes. And they'll also take care of any preventative maintenance or put out the fires that pop up. They'll also be working hand in hand with your leasing team to ensure that your investment performs at its absolute best too. And they're incentivized to do that. The more rent they collect, the more they get paid. And if this investment is successful, chances are good you'll buy more and hand those over to them for them to oversee. So their goals are truly aligned with yours. Now, the fifth strategy, which you should definitely take advantage of at some point if you own a business, is owner-occupied investing. Ever heard of house hacking? Owner-occupied commercial real estate is the exact same strategy, except for, you know, on commercial property. You move your business into the property, you might lease other space to another tenant or two or three or four, and you basically use your business to help pay down the mortgage. So your business is helping you build personal investments. When choosing the right site, you will have some special considerations here that you wouldn't have on another type of real estate investment. If you decide to use this strategy, it's important to find a building that also works for your business. Seems pretty straightforward, but I've seen people put the investment first and the business second, and that hasn't gone too well. If your business can't succeed or operate out of that property, you won't have the property for very long anyway. The mentality you should have for this strategy is almost a business first, investment second thought process. These investments can be multi-tenant situations, uh, or you could be in a standalone building that's totally your call and of course depends on the type of business that you have. Most investors that utilize this method like to have or prefer having at least one other tenant in addition to their business to help cover the cost of the building. Again, it's like house hacking. So you buy a duplex, you live on one side, you rent the other side out to a tenant and they help you cover the costs. Owner-occupied real estate also gives you access to special financing. Depending on how much of the building you plan on occupying, you could take advantage of owner-occupied financing, which gives you better terms than your typical commercial real estate loan, and for a good reason. The lender's risk is considerably lower because your business is operating there, so you already have a rent-paying tenant, and you're less likely to abandon the investment since it's tied to your business. Depending on the lender's requirements to qualify for an owner-occupied loan, your business may need to inhabit at least 51% of the rentable space, but I've seen some banks offer as low as 30%. It just completely depends on your relationship with them and what kind of offerings they have at that time. With owner-occupied financing, you'll find that interest rates are lower, down payments are lower, and you may even get a longer amortization period. Now, you will have a couple special considerations when you're doing owner-occupied investing. So you'll probably want to purchase the asset in a completely separate entity from your business. Then the entity that owns that property will lease space to your business. Of course, you'll need to consult your CPA to see if doing this is advantageous for you before deciding which route to take, but there are many advantages to setting up the investment this way. Your business still pays rent, which you can write off as a business expense on its taxes. Those rent payments are then passed along to you as the owner as passive income, which is taxed at a lower rate. And if you ever decide to sell your business, you could have a tenant in hand with the new buyer because you could sign a long-term lease for that space before you sell, which gives you and the new owner peace of mind on the real estate side. They won't have to worry about relocating anytime soon. I also do recommend if you are going to have a multi-tenant situation, if, if it's feasible for you and your business to take 
the less desirable space that's in the building because that will be the most difficult space to lease and it also won't bring in as much rent as the other spaces. So taking that space could certainly help you achieve higher rents on the other sides and get more cash flow coming through the door to help you cover your costs. So that's it for my five favorite commercial real estate investing strategies. I hope you found one that piqued your interest and if you ever have any questions, I'm always happy to help you out. You can contact me through my website at tylercobble.com, which will also be in the show notes. Until next week, happy investing. Happy investing.